Hello, this is Dr. Randy Bach, and I am here with the Coronavirus Conversation. Today is June 1, 2022. I just uh, got back a few hours ago from Rome, Italy, uh, an eight-hour transatlantic flight. Uh, it was quite pleasant, actually. Uh, Italy itself was really beautiful and pleasant. Um, they have the uh, mixed absurdity of continued mask wearing on all public transport, uh, but nowhere else. So, you know, you see people at the train station, um, close quarters and so forth, uh, not wearing masks. They have to get on the train. They wear masks. Um, <clears throat> it seemed as far as the restaurants go, that more of the high end restaurant um, staff um, and proprietors wore masks. Uh, but the, those, you know, kind of more the Osteria, the kind of small luncheonette type places, uh, they didn't. So I don't think there was a strict requirement for employees. Uh, most people at the airlines did, but not everybody. Uh, the pilots tended not to. The uh, middle-level staff, those at the desks, did. Uh, but it would vary person to person. I'd have to say probably women more than men uh, were wearing masks. And amongst the uh, customers, that is the travelers, tourists, and so forth, uh, both Italians and non, um, I saw a very high percentage of people wearing masks today, uh, late May and June. Um, uh, in the 20-something age group, um, and this seemed to be independent of health, as we're not uh, sick people per se. A lot of them were robust, um, seemingly, and young, and wearing masks. A lot of them uh, were in family units. I, I sort of get the point a little bit because we were somewhat uh, blindsided. Um, we shouldn't have been, but uh, uh, that we had to get a, a COVID test within a certain number of hours of leaving Italy for the United States. Uh, this was somewhat helped by uh, automated methods. Uh, we had to buy a physical test at a pharmacy. Uh, these were not advertised. They weren't obvious. We had to do our own research. Um, but the good news is we, you know, for $20 more, you could uh, get somebody to observe the test online through an app on your phone, and they give you a, a PDF that is accepted at the airlines. So there's a little bit of a travel tip uh, as far as uh, getting into Italy. Um, you have to show current vaccination status, a vaccine within 270 days of um, departure. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, you know, that's pretty much the size of it. Uh, is there anything, any take-home messages? For the most part, kids were not wearing masks over there. I think they probably maybe still have to wear them in school, but we saw some school groups not wearing masks. They seem to be a little bit more sensible on the streets than some places uh, you might see stateside. Uh, it varies. Um, and uh, uh, the kids seem fairly happy, but, you know, we were in a lot of towns, small towns, and saw some kids, you know, with the kind of chin uh, bra look or the mask strapped to their ear. But kids, once they're out of school, were pretty much not wearing them, uh, nor was almost anybody else. Um, you know, we did museums and things of that sort. And again, a lot of the staff, ticket takers and whatnot, would put one on now and then. Uh, anyway, that's kind of the mask story uh, from Europe. Um, nobody was sick. Uh, I don't think the numbers are high anywhere on earth right now. I'll go into that in a little bit. I'm going to try to move things along uh, rapidly, as been uh, my style and predilection lately. And I'm going to show you a couple papers that uh, have caught my eye and um, provide perhaps some insight into uh, what happened and what should have happened and what could have happened, what didn't happen uh, during the course of lockdowns and so forth. Um, 
So let me see if I can come up with something interesting for you. Uh, this is probably in reverse order uh, here as far as interest goes. Um, you may not really care about daily cases in Indonesia, but I, you know, usually I end with the worldometer, but today I'm going to begin with them. Daily new cases in Indonesia is down. Um, active cases, almost zero. Total deaths are at, uh, you know, zero. Uh, I think there's nearly as many people in Indonesia as all in the United States. I think there's more, more than 200 million people. So you might not think of Indonesia that much, uh, but it's kind of a United States size place. And I don't believe they have uh, the vaccination levels we do, although they're getting up there. Um, uh, similarly, uh, Thailand, uh, same basic thing. They had a lot more cases, uh, but again, very few um, uh, deaths, nothing um, <clears throat> major considering the size of the country. We're talking about a couple hundred deaths, uh, excuse me, in the 30s and so forth lately. And I think Thailand's population is in the uh, um, uh, high tens of millions, probably uh, 70 or 80 million, I'm not positive. Um, what else? Uh, United States, uh, the numbers have gone down. India, uh, down. Uh, U.S. Uh, deaths are uh, really low, uh, 300 uh, per day, and a lot of these probably are falsely attributed, and we'll go into that a little bit later. How do we know that for a fact? Uh, I think it's probably easy by comparing it to data in Europe. Um, and uh, let's see, the, the interesting things I'd probably like to show you um, is, is, you know, science has not really been that scientific. And a lot of times our better answers are getting are, are coming from outside what we consider standard science. Um, as, as a backdrop, um, I'm going to, let's see, where is it? Uh, this is an older article um, from 2009 by uh, uh, John Ioannidis at Stanford and uh, David, uh, let's see if I can say his name, Chavalarius, um, and he's uh, in France, I believe. Uh, I, this is an article that goes into um, the uh, different types of bias uh, that are, people are noticing in their articles. Um, they, they, this is a meta-analysis, and the results show 40 uh, bias terms were used in the title or abstract more than 100 articles each. Um, so, And their conclusion is the systemic mapping offers a dynamic classification of biases in biomedical investigation related fields and can offer insights for the multifaceted aspects of bias. So this is kind of non-judgmental, uh, but it, it does point out that, that we all enter into uh, the world with our own preconceptions, including yours truly over here. Um, and they, they somewhat map out the different types of biases that, that the researchers themselves acknowledge as part of their articles, which oftentimes we take as matters of faith. And, and in terms of full disclosure, uh, the article writers are mentioning these biases so that you will you know, take some of these with a grain of salt, including articles that tell you not to eat a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, that, um, uh, so th these, these, you know, a lot of different biases. I'm not going to go into every single uh, diagram here, but uh, th this one's sort of interesting. Uh, over here in the dark area, the dark zone, are, are this, is a, this is a time uh, axis over here, 1962 all the way to 2007, before the article's uh, writing. And the lighter the color uh, shows the, the more biases that are mentioned in articles. And so they, they tend to congregate over here. And the, the largest ones are recall bias, systemic, systematic bias, attentional bias, uh, response bias, publication bias, selection bias, which is uh, one of the big ones, confounding bias, 
uh, and I, I will commend you to read this article uh, rather than uh, go over every aspect of it. But years ago, nobody really mentioned the biases inherent in certain types of studies. You know, the, 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 the least bias, uh, biased type of study is a, a double-blinded randomized control study. So neither the researchers nor, nor the subjects um, know who's getting what. Uh, because if you're if you have a, a, a an idea in mind, oftentimes you maybe subtly or not so subtly might push the subjects um, to uh, act in a certain way based on what you would like them to do. Um, so why do I bring that up? Well, uh, totally separately, this is kind of unrelated, but um, I was given this article to look at because I have been uh, studying Zika, and I recommend you to read my book Overturning Zika on Amazon. Um, and so a physician a friend of mine, former classmate, um, sent me this article, Diseases Take Flight with Climate Change. The changing climate is providing opportunities for insects and other animals to spread infectious diseases. Uh, you can't see this word to different populations, uh, across populations, perhaps. And it's a 13-minute read. Uh, I think this article is fairly recent. Um, but I'm not going to read it for you, but the basic point is uh, some areas are getting hotter and some areas are not. Uh, and the areas that might have had some mosquitoes for malaria and so forth, um, you know, become drier with greater heat and the mosquitoes don't live and the mosquitoes might change their habitat. But net net, uh, they're not necessarily noticing any more um, uh, diseases in one place versus another. Uh, this is David Relman, who I believe is the son of the former New England uh, Journal of Medicine editor, Arnold Relman, with whom I spoke in the 80s, and he published an article of mine, uh, which I can send you a link to separately about uh, uh, the reason for high prices at walk-in clinics at the time, uh, kind of dock-in-a-box clinics. Um, so he says here, as the climate warms, a disease that becomes more prevalent and severe in one place may become less so somewhere else, and another may reveal a different temporal and geographic pattern. So what is exactly that means? I mean, I think it, I think he's saying here that if when stuff happens, other stuff happens, um, but it's not necessarily, you know, categorically worse in one situation or another, but you know, that's not how people act. People act. And this article um, makes it sound as if uh, this is always going to be worse. I mean, here's the, the blurb on the side uh, or a little you know, highlight temperature increases, higher revelation, higher elevations may create new niches for vector-borne pathogens. That sounds terrible, but they're not telling you that they might disappear at other places. Uh, Peter Hotez is a, a fellow Yale a few years after me. Um, uh, he does tropical diseases, uh, points out that certain Africa, certain parts of East Africa, uh, skyrocketing, skyrocketing temperatures and diminishing rainfall patterns are adversely affecting the mosquitoes that carry, carry malaria and the snails that carry schistosomiasis. Yet, temperature increases at higher elevations may create new niches for vector-borne pathogens further, contributing to the redistribution of mosquito and snail-borne diseases. Um, okay, fine. So again, this is not necessarily worse. Uh, and again, you have to stipulate that you are accepting his premise that such as is happening on a repetitive basis, skyrocketing temperatures, diminishing rainfall patterns. But even so, it doesn't necessarily mean that the population as a whole is worse. It just may mean that certain diseases which were in certain places may go to other places and vice versa. Um, it is an interesting side note. Uh, we were in Italy, uh, as I mentioned, until recently, and uh, malaria <laughs> uh, was in Italy for a long time, uh, no longer. 
they managed to, I guess, deal with swamps. Um, and I don't think it was a change in, in climate per se, but uh, malaria actually is literally malaria, uh, bad air. Um, so, you know, it used to be that tuberculosis was considered consumption and the cure was to get fresh air. And, and that's kind of the reason uh, most of the American hospitals, in, at least in the Northeast, are on, uh, on hills, the community hospitals, because they thought that building them up high would uh, help people's health. Um, so I think similar concept might have existed for malaria. You know, they thought it was bad air, but in fact, it was mosquitoes. Uh, I just bring that up as a side note to show how, um, you know, disease conceptions have changed over time. Uh, oddly enough, uh, influenza is also an Italian term, and I believe, you know, it's the influence. Uh, I think, I'm not sure they were sure what, by which they were being influenced. And we're going to come back to influenza in a second as we look at uh, how, uh, uh, economists are looking at science, this science versus uh, scientists looking at science. Uh, so there's a very interesting article here, um, which is uh, from, uh, is it, where is it from? <laughs> uh, I have to get to the top of it. Uh, it's um, a literature review and meta-analysis, the effects of lockdowns on uh, COVID-19 mortality. So this is Johns Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics global health and study of business enterprise. And I think that some of the writers are Scandinavian. Um, so the interesting parts for me are uh, they look at, in this chart here, uh, countries with the percentage of countries with COVID stringency, stringency by which they measure uh, lockdowns uh, on a scale of, of zero to 100. So for a time uh, in you know spring of 2020, uh, you know, at nearly 90% of countries had some level of high stringency of um, COVID lockdowns. So this, um, and by coloration, the um, uh, darker color uh, is, is lower levels of stringency, 65. So very few countries had, most all the countries had very high levels of stringency. That's the light, the light color. So a good in this case, 70% of the countries on earth um, were above 75% in their, on their lockdown stringency scale, so very stringent. And so across the board, countries had lockdowns, uh, you know, again, nearly 90%. Currently, it's down around uh, 10% over here in um, March of 2022 and lower uh, since then. So their question are, uh, do lockdowns work? Uh, so the quality of evidence for selected uh, NPI, um, uh, I think that's non-pharmacological interventions, so not drugs, but things we do. Uh, school measures, this paper is probably too small for you to read, um, school measures and closings, uh, very, the quality of evidence as assessed by the WHO before the pandemic, they thought all of these had very low uh, level of evidence to make these decisions, border closures, travel restrictions, um, avoiding crowding, but they, people did it anyway. Uh, why do we do it? Because the real you know, virus tends to be uh, word of mouth and we do things by peer pressure and so forth. Uh, so this is kind of, uh, I think maybe the interesting bullet point here. Uh, this is the positive correlation between the stringency index and COVID-19 mortality. So if, if stringency, which is measured on this axis, the higher it is, if, if there were more stringency, you'd expect the deaths to go down. Uh, in Europe, 
These are country by country. Each dot is a country. And this clearly is a huge scatter. So it doesn't really show that much relation. But overall, when they try to do a statistical analysis, they find that the correlation is pretty much nil, that the deaths per million doesn't don't really change from country to country to country to country based on the stringency of lockdowns uh, on average. In the United States, they're doing states, individual states. We have 50 states. And they actually found an inverse correlation that the deaths uh, went higher with higher lockdowns. Uh, there might be confounding variables here, but the lockdowns themselves don't seem to be uh, contributory towards uh, general health. Uh, I found this one really quite amazing. Um, and uh, I hope you can catch it here. Uh, the effect of lockdown on reduction in mortality in percent. So here I'll read this divergence between avoided number of deaths in the United States as measured by our meta results versus the forecasted outcome from the Imperial College London. This was the big scare uh, that came out early in COVID, that if we didn't do X, Y, and Z lockdowns, we would have tens of millions of deaths or millions of deaths right away from COVID. So these are the numbers they were predicting in the, uh, I guess they were predicting 2 million. I take, take back what I said a little bit. They were predicting you know, 2.2 million immediate deaths you know, within the first wave of COVID. Uh, based on, on this study, uh, the me actual measured meta results, state by state by state, uh, based on the stringency of lockdowns, show that there was very little uh, diminishment that, that happened by virtue of lockdowns versus states that had no lockdowns. So there's little to no, you know, saving people uh, based on all the lockdown procedures uh, that had been done. So that's kind of my take-home message from this. Uh, we could go on further, um, but I think th those are the uh, basic messages here. Um, and uh, you can look at these here. This one's a, this is a simplified illustration of the difference in uh, the I'm not going to of the difference indifference approach compared to into, it's kind of a, a tongue twister here. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave leave it here, and maybe I'll make a slide of this for you to look at. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, it was really nothing, uh, not nothing going on. Um, Johns Hopkins. Um, uh, I guess the studies mentioned here in the, by the Brownson Institute, uh, by um, Thornstein uh, Siglofsson, who's an uh, Icelandic uh, consultant and writer. Uh, and I think we might have him on the show at some point because he uh, is interested in applying the logical thinking process uh, to everyday problems. He actually has a book on this topic, which I just purchased. Um, so we might have, have him on the show shortly, and uh, you'll get to ask him questions about some of these aspects. Um, so people are coming around to this. This is a separate independent study um, from, let's see, where is this from? Um, this is from the uh, British Medical Journal Global Health version from Dr. Kevin Bardosh. I'm not sure what his, um, where he is from per se. Um, but uh, they, they worked on the, looked at the unintended consequences of COVID-19 vaccine policy. So why mandates, passports, and restrictions may cause more harm than good. This is looking forward. The lockdown one is looking backwards, showing that all that lockdown stuff uh, really didn't do anything changing uh, you know, the amount of lives saved versus the predictions. So again, I refer you back to this model. This is predictions, this is actuality. So they're predicting that we would have millions of deaths uh, extra, whereas it turns out lockdowns really saved almost nobody. Um, so getting back to this one here, the summary box over here is um, uh, 
mandatory COVID-19 uh, vaccine policies have been used around the world, et cetera. Uh, we outline a comprehensive set of hypotheses uh, for why current um, COVID-19 vaccine policies may prove to be both counterproductive and damaging to public health. So they're looking at the big picture. Um, our analysis strongly suggests that these mandatory policies already have had damaging effects on public trust, vaccine confidence, uh, political polarization, human rights, inequities, and social well-being. We question the effectiveness and consequences of coercive vaccination policy and pandemic response and urge the research community and policymakers to return to non-discriminatory, trust-based public health approaches. Uh, all well and good. Uh, our friend uh, Bill Gates, uh, with whom I have not agreed on very much, uh, very often lately, uh, he actually opposes COVID vaccine mandates and passports. Uh, this says at Davos, which is the world uh, economic forum, but he means in general, not just for those. I thought at first when I read it, he meant for those you know, elites, but he actually means it for everybody. And he said here, uh, if you have breakthrough infections, uh, what's the point? Which is absolutely true. I mean, they, you know, the vaccine, no vaccine, countries pretty much do the same. Uh, the vaccine is for COVID-19. We're on COVID-2022 right now. They're kind of pointless and beside the point. And there's really no effort uh, you know, from the vaccines and reducing um, you know, or making change um, in, in actual outcomes. This is not to say that people don't uh, still think in this um, somewhat, um, I guess, you know, medieval way, the way they thought uh, malaria, the bad air caused malaria or some type of, uh, uh, I got to again, read up the derivation of influenza. Um, influenza, you know, some outside influence caused influenza. I don't think they're looking still or now at any of the root causes in a productive way. Um, the um, actually, there's something I want to get get back to. I'll, let me see if I can find it before I do this. But while I'm while I'm looking, I'll mention that you know, unfortunately, there's a, uh, a uh, classmate of mine who was a physician and infectious disease expert, and uh, she will not be coming to our reunion in a few days because she doesn't think the country is adequately masked. Um, so that is just an amazing thing. Um, you know, she says cases are going up. Um, perhaps, I'm not even sure they are going up in Los Angeles. Uh, but if in fact uh, she believes that to be the case, uh, it does still does not make very much sense um, uh, because cases are just cases. Uh, here's, here's the uh, thing I wanted to show you. So let me put this back up. Um, so speaking of influenza, uh, maybe we'll get the derivation of the word uh, a little bit later. Um, uh, uh, influenza disappeared at the same time in Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, despite radical differences in lockdown policies. As we know and have talked about before on the show, Sweden didn't really have very much in lockdown. They had a very mild one very briefly, but uh, much they were much more laissez-faire and let things go as they would. Uh, than Denmark and Norway, and overall, um, their uh, all cases of influenza disappeared identically. Uh, you know, so influenza is transmitted pretty much the same way as COVID, and so one would think the same thing would track for uh, coronaviruses as influenza viruses, which are both from sneezes and coughs and whatnot. So they conclude um, here: we believe that most, if not all, studies focusing on timing um, fail. Uh, to distinguish 
between the effects of lockdowns and the effects of voluntary behavioral changes. That is to say that we should trust people uh, more uh, on what they uh, do uh, because humans have brains and they can react appropriately. Um, anyway, so this is a fascinating article. I recommend you look at it. I'll send, put the link up for it. And, and with that, I might uh, actually um, you know, take leave of you uh, for this week. Uh, I wish you uh, uh, good air, not malaria. Uh, and if anybody has the answer to the influenza question, uh, you can post that. I can probably find it myself, but I'll give you a little bit of homework. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, please uh, feel free to comment, pass this along, and uh, give me your recommendations. So uh, take care and uh, stay well.